0: Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at shepherd'scrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor I Come alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hello and welcome back to The Shepherd's Crook. Hope you guys are well this morning. We're continuing our two-part series on masculine and feminine sins. This morning we're talking about feminine sins. I wanna remind you real quick, there is still time if you sign up today. If you just message me and say, hey, I want in, you can still come to the intensive. It's this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Really excited about what's going on. It's gonna be a really phenomenal trip. All you have to do is bring a tent. If you're not going to sleep in a cabin, you'll have to bring obviously change of clothes, some water shoes, that sort of thing and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're covering all the food, we're going to have a nice shrimp boil the first night, and then uh, several different things that we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing some throw-in events, we're going to do an arm wrestling competition, we're going to have gifts uh, for the winners of that kind of thing, or prizes, and it's just all around an incredible event. You guys have been hearing me talk about it, so if you can, please try to make it. Reach out to me, and there is still time to join us. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. We're going to talk about feminine sins today, and I'm going to try to equip you as you're talking to your church to be able to understand how to do this, and for those that are not pastors, obviously, I know there's a lot of you that listen in, so this is going to hopefully be helpful for you as you kind of grapple with particular sin propensities that we're going to struggle with that are common to men and then common to women. Let's let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. We ask for blessing, and I trust that you're going to lead it, lead it and uh, that this will be helpful for those that listen. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. I've had the great pleasure of preaching through a marriage series at church, and our people have received this really well. It's been really helpful, I think, for people. It's been helpful for me to reconsider some of the things that we talked about last week, these masculine sins and how these things are going to come out in aggressive or passive ways. Not passive-aggressive ways, but either uh, over, overly dom- domineering ways or really passive ways. And there's all these splinter and subcategories of masculine sins that we see in the scriptures, and the commands that God gives to men combat these sin propensities and you could look at Titus chapter 2 and we could talk about several different feminine sins that are addressed as well and these, these specific commands that go to older women and younger women that ladies need to be aware of. But there, there's going to be these big picture sins as well that we're going to look at this morning. And then there's going to be these subcategories of all these feminine type of sins. Now, when we talk about masculine sins and feminine sins, it doesn't necessarily mean that there are going to be some men that don't struggle with things that are generally women's sin issues or sin propensities. And also, when we talk about women or feminine sins, it doesn't mean that there's some feminine sins that or some some ladies that are going to struggle with masculine sins. These kind of go back and forth, but they are popular headings and general propensities that men and women both have. And when we begin to think about, for instance, marriage problems, or we begin to think about problems in the church, or problems in the world, you begin to look at these big caricature, big picture sin um, propensities, and it really reveals itself pretty well. And so you can pin that sin on ladies and pin that sin on men more so than you can the other way around, okay? Not always, but generally. So today, we're looking at the fall. We're looking at pre-fall, post-fall, and we're going to look at these two big categorical sins that we see in ladies. And first, we're going to look at this deceit because we, we see that uh, in First Timothy chapter 2, we get a creation story. And the reason why, perpetually, ladies are not to have authority over men when it comes to the area of teaching and what's appealed to is Genesis chapter one, and we get this first sin of uh, masculine sin that we're going to look at today, which is this this propensity of deception or gullibility. Let me go ahead and turn to First Timothy chapter two. Probably should have been turned there already, but here we are. All right. Here's what it says: I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man; rather, she's to remain quiet. For Adam was remained first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now. What the apostle is doing here is saying that the sin of Eve is a perpetual sin issue within women. The reason women are not permitted to teach or exercise authority over a man. And if you read that and your conclusion is what that really means. And I heard this from, uh, let's see, who was it? Uh, Rebecca Merkel years ago. She said, if your conclusion is, I think this actually means that women can teach and can exercise authority over a man. (laughs) Well, clearly you're reading it wrong. So this is a perpetual problem of the daughters of Eve, is that this this sin of deception, or we could call it gullibility, is still there. And we look at it in Genesis chapter one. We just considered this in our church. And the serpent came to Eve and appealed to her senses, and it was a delight to her eyes. She looked at it, looked at the fruit, and in her mind it was it was appealing. There was aesthetic there that drew her in. It looked safe to me. It looked safe to her. So it, it felt good, it seemed right, it looked good, and she bought the lie, maybe God is holding back on me. And so this this perpetual sin here of being deceived by something that appears to be better than what God offers is there in all the daughters of Eve. It's just there. And, and this is the big, you know, as we talk about women's ministry and why is it that women's ministry in general is usually a theological train wreck is because ladies left ungoverned by, by their husbands and by good spiritual authority in a local church with good healthy elders just to go out and do whatever they want when it comes to when it comes to uh, the teaching of God's word or the hearing of God's word or the study of God's word generally speaking uh, theology of ladies is not good it, it, they're prone to deception. There's not this discernment that's there because in the, the daughters of Eve, there is this pull to do the exact same thing that Eve did, which is listen to the whispers of the enemy. Why has egalitarianism taken such a root in the lives of so many women? Why did why did feminism go like crazy? I mean, we could talk about the sins of the men and their passivity as we talked about masculine sins last week, but also we have to consider it takes root in the daughters of Eve because they're listening to the lies of the devil. So that's sin propensity number one. and We see it clearly in Genesis chapter one. Then in Genesis chapter two, we get the punishments that God laid down upon the serpent, the woman, and the man. And within this, we have a little bit of a controversy. I'm going to read in a book that, that I'd read years ago, The Gospel-Centered Woman by Wendy Alsop, that uh, Jordan was reading. This was, I don't know, probably ten years ago. And this is the first that i had read of this. But <clears throat> the first that i had read of this controversy about Genesis chapter three, verse 16. But when the, so this, this pre-fall sin propensity remains after the fall. That's why women can't teach, okay? But then there's something that comes down uh, when it comes to judgment to the woman in verse 16. And it says this, I will multiply your pain and childbearing. Every woman knows that. And in your pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary or for your husband, but he shall rule over you. And the big debate is the ESV takes that desire and I understands that desire to be a negative desire. And translates the word, your desire shall be contrary or against your husband. Whereas the NASB <clears throat> and any other versions basically say just leave it as for. So the question is, what what is this word desire? And then your, uh, your husband, but he shall rule over you. And so the second piece is not that he will have authority over you, but this rule is going to come out in ways that are unbridled, and they're, they're unchecked by the Spirit. And that's why around the world to this day, where Christianity is not, has not spread, the oppression of women has been there everywhere, like the actual oppression of women. Not that they couldn't get all the jobs that the men wanted kind of thing, but real oppression of women where they're mistreated. Where Christianity goes, then <clears throat> that mistreatment is in check and it is sanctified because the Spirit of God is working the lives of the men, and they begin to rule well rather than rule wickedly. But the controversy isn't over that necessarily. I mean, I'm sure you know. Certainly, there are people that that make that a controversy as well. But the controversy is over this word desire. Okay, so the word desire is used three different times in the scriptures in the Old Testament. Only three times in chapter four, verse seven, and then in Song of Solomon. In Song of Solomon, it's an erotic desire. So is this desire a positive erotic desire in Genesis chapter three, where the woman is going to want her man or want men sexually? Maybe. I mean, that's a possibility. Or is it more in line with Genesis chapter 4, verse 7? And this is the translators of the ESV. This is what they take. And they say, because Genesis chapter 4, verse 7 says, If you do well, you're, you will be accepted. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you okay? or contrary to you, positive or negative desire. What is sin wanting to do? Is, is sin wanting to build Cain up or tear Cain down? Is 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 uh, sin? Desire is the desire that sin has. Is it is it wanting to undermine? Is it wanting to to make him trip and fall and stumble, or is it wanting to make him walk in the straight paths of the way of God? And so, because of that, what the translators of the ESV have said is this is a negative desire, and this negative desire. And I think they're right, but the little bit of controversy is there is because it wasn't until about the 1970s that this um, that this. Uh, interpretive direction was taken, and you can read that in this book right here, and I just think it is, uh, I still think that the scriptures testify to this fact, but here's what Wendy Alsop said. In Genesis 3.16, The pic gives us the picture of the woman who looks to the man in her life for emotional and spiritual affirmation and provision in ways that God alone is supposed to provide. So she just takes this desire and she says the actual the thing here is that the woman is going to desire the man more than desiring God. Okay, so that's why she is taking this position, is that this is the historic position, this is what Augustine said, uh, that their hearts are relentless until they rest in God about mankind in general, and she's saying the feminine way this comes out is, is, is idolizing the man. Instead of recognizing the sovereign, compassionate, and wise Heavenly Father, as in the place to which I should have looked, she started to look within herself and to look to the man instead of God. So she just takes it as this general desire for the man. Now the reason I think that the first interpretation that is on the scene in the 70s about this particular verse is correct is because it's following in the ways of Satan. This is the temptation that that is learned or picked up from Satan from Eve. What did... Satan do? What did the serpent do? Undermined the authority. Wanted to uh, tear God down and build himself up. Wanted to put himself in the position of God. So what is Eve doing in her feminine sins and what's her, her perpetual sin problem going to be? Well, it's going to be walking in the way of Satan in this particular, in this particular way. Wanting to have or undermine the authority of those that are around them. And th- I think this plays itself out in, in the home church and world. Last week we looked at masculine sins in the home church and world. Now we're going to look at these specific feminine sins in the home church and world. Okay, so number one, in the home. What does this look like in the home? Okay, so the deception in the home looks like a woman who wants to be the spiritual authority. She might even say verbally that my husband is the head of this household. She might say that, but really in her mind, she's behind the scenes and she wants to be the spiritual authority. She thinks she's more spiritually uh, inclined. She thinks she's theologically uh, in a better place than her husband. And in some ways, that actually might be true but a godly woman is going to recognize the authority of her husband in the home because this is how God has designed the home to work. But when this feminine sin comes out, it's going to end up looking like a woman who is is trying to control the home or lead the home theologically and spiritually. Now, the undermining authority, what's that going to look like? The usurpering authority, the, the following in the ways of Satan in this particular way is going to look like, behind the scenes, it's going to be treating your husband like he's a child. It's going to be uh, always correcting him in the front of the children it's going to be uh not recognizing his authority in the home but always trying to be the disciplinary force always trying to be the one that's taking charge this is how this feminine sin looks in the home it's instead of respecting her husband it's disrespecting her husband in action, both privately and publicly. So these are feminine sins that ladies have to be worked uh, to be looking out for. And I'm telling you, pastors, we have to preach to this because there's a lot of men out there. There's a ton of men out there that are having wives and nobody is speaking the truth to their wives. They are trying to speak truth to their wives, or they don't know how to speak truth to their wives, and you've got to be the one that stands up and shows them, here's the feminine sins that that you ladies have to be looking out for, and then they've got to be able to work through the stuff. The ladies have to be able to repent of sins, and if they don't know these are sins they need to be aware of, then they're just going to keep doing the status quo of a normal American egalitarian life, thinking that this is okay. And we have to be the one that, that, that stands up and say, egalitarianism is of the devil. This is not okay. That this is a war against the way, the order of God, and it's a war against the image of God. It's men trying to act like women, and it's women trying to act like men. And when, when women try to act like men in this egalitarian way, they are really modeling for the world the insanity of this gender confusion stuff. This is what egalitarianism is, and it's what it does functionally. Okay, what about in the church? Well, it, clearly this works itself out in the church by the women who want to control the church. They want to do things that men are only called to do in the church. So if they want to preach, or if they want to lead, or exercise some sort of authority, then that is the the definition of what a you know feminine sins look like in the local church. This is uh, trying to again, it's a power grab, it's control, it's uh, you know sneering at the pastors, or it's not uh, accepting their authority in their life in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And this has destroyed churches everywhere. I've got an episode this week coming out with Eric Kahn about pastor or about women who have torn down their own home, but also have torn down the church. And this is the case with churches all over the country of women, bad women, who have destroyed local churches. I've experienced this personally. I tell a little bit of a story on that that'll be again released on Thursday. But bad women can destroy churches, and this happens everywhere. And especially if there's pastors' uh, wives that are bad women, they can really destroy churches quickly. And as men have power, so do women. Women have power as well. They have this uh, authority and dominion in a different way, in a unique way as men. But they also have this, this power over... Uh, the earth in a unique way to rule and take dominion, and they can do that to the negative. And a woman who's unbridled, a woman who is not sanctified, instead of building up and putting things into order, she will tear down and make things disorderly in the home and in the church. Well, what about the world? Okay, well, this, uh, the, this comes out in women wanting to do the world, uh, do the role of men in the public square. So men are built to be providers and protectors. And when women want to go out into the world and they want to be, as my buddy Scott Tungay talks about, they want to be boss babes. They want to go out and obviously, you know, egalitarianism and feminism and everybody in the world, the world, the flesh, the the devil, will celebrate a woman submitting to everybody, literally anybody. It's not a problem. Submission is not an issue except in one context, and that is a wife submitting to her husband. But she'll go out into the world and do the role of men, or want to do the role of men in the world. So, in, for instance, in protector positions or protect, protection roles, military combat, police, military, uh, police officer, or fire, uh, fire, firemen. Those sort of protect jobs, the protecting society jobs, a lady in the world will want to go out and do that. And then when anyone would suggest, for instance, hey, why don't we leave that to the men who are bigger, stronger, and built to be protectors in their home and in the world, they're totally and radically offended. I mean, the first complementarians even recognized this. I mean, John Piper was talking about this back in the 80s that there are roles and functions in society that are built for men. And when, when men don't step up into those roles, the, the roles, there's a vacancy filled. Uh, ladies who really, really care, may even care, care and have, might even have pure motives to begin with. In their gullibility, they'll step up into these protector roles and it's not intended for them. You, you think about politics in the area of civil government deborah is not this great model for government in the in the world or in the church this is an exception just like josiah In the scriptures, when he is elevated to king, when he's eight years old, he is not an example of what we need in the world or in the church. We don't need eight-year-old rulers in our cities, in our state, or in our nation. We don't need eight-year-old pastors in our churches. In the same way, Deborah is not this template for what we need in the civic realm. So we don't need ladies serving in local politics or state politics or national politics. This is in the world. This this kind of sin comes out where the, the, the home is seen as secondary and everything else is seen as primary. World, primary home secondary career primary the flourishing of the home secondary and this is what these feminine sins look like in real life feminine sins are reality Look at Titus chapter 2, there's more feminine sins. Like I said earlier, every single command given to women is addressing a specific feminine sin. Every command given to men that's direct, that, that's having them caution some particular area or some particular sin, when there is a warning, for instance, about the Jezebel in the Proverbs, that's addressing a particular male sin propensity of visually being pulled in a direction of beauty or in a direction of feminine beauty. And so the man is going to have this visual lust issue and it's addressing that particular issue. Don't even go to her doorstep. Stay away from that kind of woman because you're going to be entangled in her snare. And that's a specific male masculine sin being addressed. Okay, hopefully this is helpful. If you have any questions, please reach out to me. Leave a rating or review if you would. That would be helpful. Please subscribe, share this. And like I said, if you've got any questions, please reach out. I hope this has been helpful and I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.